0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au We need to focus on Jesus, and there's a verse that's coming up on the screen that I'd like us all to read as we think about our own following of Jesus' call. And now for a word from our Creator. Here we go. OK, let's read it out together. Since we're surrounded by so many witnesses, let us throw off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us, so we may patiently run the race marked out for us with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Thank you very much, kids. Great job. Well done. Don't worry, we'll uh, fix that. You can go back and sit in something perhaps less comfortable, and you can, if you can, make your way out of here. (laughs) 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 All right, well, (laughs) let's think about temptation. Now, I've researched this um, because I don't live half an inch above temptation level. It's something that hits all of us. And sometimes we get the signals wrong. Like the fellow who was in the gym talking with a very attractive lady. Very happy conversation. And she said to him, you know, every time I see you smile, I feel I'd like to see you more often. He said, oh, are you single? She said, no, I'm a dentist. (laughs) 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 Uh, And there is the story of the pastor's fellowship They'd been meeting together for a long time and uh, one of them said, look, we've known each other, we've shared in ministry, but we haven't really leveled with each other about the things we struggle with. What are our greatest temptations? Well, as the conversation developed, one had an alcohol problem, the other one had a gambling addiction, another one had a couple of mistresses on the side, another one was... um, Tickling the till, the offering and you know, paying for a few seminars and overseas trips. Now I've got to confess, I haven't done any of that, alright? And you know, all these horrible things were coming out and finally one said, now you made this suggestion, what's your greatest problem? He said, well, confidentiality and I just can't wait to get out of this room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when we think about temptation it really is false advertising. And it's something that hits all of us. The Apostle Paul wrote to his fractured friends at Corinth, anyone who thinks he stands should take heed lest he fall. No temptation has taken you that is not common to others. God is faithful and he will not let you tempted, uh, be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may may be able to endure it. Now that is such a powerful statement that embraces the whole experience of being tested and uh, temptation won't go away. It will just come back in all sorts of ways. It will come to us uh, in disguise. Sometimes it will be blatant because Satan will be very confident that he'll nail us on this particular issue. He might have nailed us on, on it before And so he's got experience. He's also got all the access to our past memory. And he can jog stuff out of our memory at any time. And I'll deal with that in a moment. But let's look at the contrast. We have God, the Lord of hosts. He is all-powerful, all-loving, and totally truthful. But not only that, he accepts us. And forgiveness and adopts us into his family of grace and truth. Now, the God who is out there so limitlessly is available so intimately and personally to us and to everybody we know and everybody we meet. And he loves them to the same intensity that he loves us. And he's proved that by coming to earth as one of us. So that he can understand personally what it's like to be a human being, to face all the tests, so that as we pray to him, we don't have to persuade him to understand or convince him about how tough things are. He knows it. And because he knows it, and because he knows that we need to be forgiven, he trusts us to share this grace and truth with our world. As Beck prayed just before we uh, took up the offering, you know, to, to recognise the opportunities we have, not as perfect people or as wonderful examples of everything that's true, but as faithful but fallible people who God loves and who God entrusts to share this fantastic life-changing truth On the one hand, we have God, the Lord of hosts. We also have Satan, the Lord of hoax. No accidental play on words there, but Satan has limited power and no love. He is deceptive and seductive. He will play on our lower nature. He is corrosive, not creative. He hates the truth and ridicules it. And you'll see time and time again, most recently where the church is under suspicion. Now a few people have let the side down in a very public way. Now if we were pilloried in the same way, it wouldn't be so comfortable, but we know that they are fallible people who have let the side down, but we also let the side down but the media is fastening onto anything that seems to be negative and blowing it out of all proportion, totally ignoring the fantastic things that God's people are doing on the quiet without trying to seek a whole lot of attention. He feeds suspicion and blame and shame. And that's where temptation can get a bit of a hook on us where we feel so degraded by getting attracted by something that we know eventually is wrong. And he likes to feed isolation and defeat and death. That's his whole modus operandi. He just loves to do all of that negative stuff in all sorts of attractive ways. Because he's older than we are. He's been around for so long. But he's not equal to God. In fact, he's got a a use-by date which only God has declared. And one day, his defeat will be universal news. Well, let's think about temptation it hits everybody in different ways and I forgot to animate this. It doesn't matter, we can look at it all together. Everybody gets tempted for different things. There are things which attract me that are wrong which you'd show no interest at all in. And similarly, it would be easy for me to wonder why you'd be sucked into something else that has no appeal to me. But that's the thing about temptation. It's appealing. It's attractive. It's attractive. It's like putting your thumb over the grub hole of an apple and offering it to somebody. You know what's worse than finding a grub in an apple? Half a grub, that's (laughs) not... But temptation can be so alluring and because of the nature of Satan to try to divide us and shame us, it will try to isolate us in a a kind of a tension and a pressure that this is the only option we've got. So deceitful. And while all this is happening and while we get distracted by it, it blurs our view of others' needs and our potential. And if we're getting caught up in a sense of testing and trial and temptation we start to feel unworthy to help somebody else yet nothing could be further from the truth. God trusts unworthy people to do amazing things because it's his grace at work and love covers a multitude of sins as the scripture says temptation can feed our self pity or nobody's had to deal with this like I have to deal with it. It it tends to focus us on us, which is always unhealthy. Now, we're not going to remember, it's not a sin to be tempted. But sin uh, can be on the other side of the door if we let it. False advertising of temptation. Half-truths. And the greatest example of the half-truth is when Eve got listening to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Just look at this, look at this, a beautiful fruit. Now, we don't know what the fruit was, it's, it's um, supposed to be an apple, but who cares, who knows. But the fruit was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that was the deceptive part about it, not that God arranged the deception, but if it had been in a tree of evil, it would have been so ugly and repulsive. There would have been no attraction, no appeal at all. And that's the nature of evil. The, the evil nature of evil is to disguise itself as something good. You'll be like God. You'll know good from evil. Well, who wouldn't want that? But he didn't say you'll know good from evil but you'll have no power over the evil once you know and from that point on she started to get hooked other little half truths like it won't harm anybody nobody's going to get hurt by this you, you'll be okay or even worse you deserve it just think of all the time you've put in give yourself a break or more persuasive everybody else is doing it why don't you am I hitting any familiar territory here I think I am because it's my familiar territory the things that I struggle with and that's part of being a human being temptation is no fun but how you going Myra You're beautiful. (laughs) I'd like some of those sprouts too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Norman Vincent Peale was the man who was uh, pastor of the Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York. He's the man who wrote The Power of Positive Thinking. And he became a national figure for the influence of that book filled with the promises of God and confidence to uh, lay those promises out for life. And one day a man got in touch with him and said, I'm just so desperate to find a way out of all the problems I've got. Norman Vincent Peale said, look, um, meet me at the whatever station is in the underground, or whatever they call the underground in New York, and I'll take you to a place where nobody's got any problems at all. This guy said, oh, lead me there. So they met up, they went, come up out of the uh, subway. It is a subway, not an underground. And there they were at the gates of a big cemetery at New York. (laughs) And the fellow says, well, where's this place where they've got no problems? Norman Vincent Peale pointed across the street. There, nobody there has got any problems they're all dead because temptation is a sign of life as James wrote the beginning of his letter get all excited when you face temptations, because those temptations are to test your faith and to overcome and it reminds us of our room for growth God hasn't finished with us yet There's still more to discover. There's a terrific um, story about the sculptor who was just absolutely brilliant at carving horses. You could almost see a horse on the pedestal and and pause a moment to see if it wasn't going to just snort and jump off the pedestal. So lifelike. Whether he carved it out of stone or, or wood. And somebody asked him, well what's your secret? You've got incredible skill. He said, oh it's not hard. All I do is get the stone or the wood and I get rid of anything that doesn't look like a horse. (laughs) That's pretty simple. And temptation is God's allowance for us to discard all the stuff that doesn't look like the image of Jesus that he's calling us to be. And that is as individuals and as a fellowship. So that we can reflect and show more clear, more and more clearly the very presence of God and his availability through Jesus Christ to our communities, to our workplace, to our schools, to our neighbourhood. Not as perfect people but bearing the scars. Showing that life can be tough but God's love is a whole lot tougher. And one of the Yeah, Jesus was a great teacher, there's no question about that. But sometimes God's education system doesn't quite get it right. There you go. See, in school, our tests come from the lessons we have. But in life, the lessons come from the tests we face. And as we keep our focus on him, no matter what the test might be, he'll show us his way through. Now temptation attacks us when we're weak and this is why we do need to get enough rest and exercise and eat right so that we're physically and more mentally in tune with where we need to be. But in our weakness it's an attack to limit our perspective to to here and now. It might become loaded with regrets or bitterness or anger or frustration but it's doing all it can to shift our focus from the very presence of Jesus within us and around us and among us. Sadly, if we get used to a temptation, any particular one, whatever it might be, it, we can allow it to become part of our DNA. That is, it's an assumed part of our regular makeup. And that can be very sad because it can limit what we can become the help we can be to others in the church, to our families, to our wider community, to, to our wider world. And if we just get too familiar with it, it starts to become a bit of a friend. You know, you like to enjoy your friend's company, right? And if you make a particular friend of a temptation or a test, you won't defeat it. Because who wants to fight with friends? You know, you know how they train monkeys or catch monkeys to train them for circus acts and all the rest of it. They, um, they get heavy heavy jars filled with monkey food like peanuts or whatever, and just leave them on the floor of the jungle. And you know, just on the way, there are, there are no drugs in the jungle. Do you know why? Because the parrots eat them all. No. <laughs> then The monkeys can smell the food and go down, they f- look at the jar. I've suffered from my humour, why should I suffer alone? <laughs> they, they go up to the jar and they reach into the jar and grab whatever it is and find that they can't pull their hand back out of the jar because the neck is too narrow. They've got something they want but they have... Sacrificed their freedom for that handful of nuts remember that uh, little illustration we had with those eager sprinters to lay aside the weight that clings so closely so that we can run with patience and with perseverance and patience and perseverance are some of the greatest weapons we have as fruit of the Holy Spirit to deal with the instantaneous pressure of temptation. Temptation offers very simple but very exploitive answers. Like the madman who went through those mosques in Christchurch just shooting people and filming himself doing it. It's hard to imagine that level of hatred Yet that fellow was poisoned as an oh well, maybe a decent sort of a bloke, got poisoned that the problems are caused by somebody else, and of course the most graphic. The most graphic example is the Holocaust. as part of our visit to. Jordan and Israel. Last year we visited the Holocaust Museum. Words fail me as to the institutionalised hatred, the industrial scale murder it was perpetrated on the Jews and filmed and glorified because an embittered Austrian corporal rose through the ranks to become the dictator of Germany and inflicted the world with Nazism, which we've thankfully overcame, but still the hatred is there. Good people can be caught up in seeds of hatred and resentment and self-pity that blames others for the problem. Simple answer, let's just get rid of all those Jews. No simple answer. We're still paying emotionally and in so many ways for that hatred. Temptation doesn't only attack our our weaknesses, it attacks our strength too. Jesus was tempted immediately following his baptism. Now you'd think as the dove descended upon him and the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You'd think he's right, (laughs) he's set, everything's fine. But he had 40 days, almost six weeks, of being tempted in very inhospitable country tempted to do spectacular things that would take him away from the cross there's so much rubble around that area around the, the, the uh, Jordan so easy those stones look like cob lobes and uh, Satan could say look looks like a loaf of bread do your stuff eat Throw yourself off the temple. Everybody will notice and they'll they'll follow you. Now if you just worship me, I can give you the whole world. Again, the Lord of hoax at work. It's not his world. But he can become so persuasive. Jesus answered him with scripture every time and he resisted the devil so the devil left him. And we have that same freedom to say, just use two middle letters out of the alphabet, N and O. No. We don't resist him in our own strength, though. But he doesn't take away our power to choose. David and Bathsheba is a classic case of David with all his strength, all his power, when he should have been away fighting with his troops. He was relaxing in the the palace and he got, uh, got the wrong idea about Bathsheba which ultimately led to Uriah's death a simple attractive idea with incredibly sad exploitation. We may not be king of Israel or king of anything or queen of anything but if we emphasise ourselves as the one who needs what is wrong, even if we sense that it's wrong and still go for it, we're not numero uno. Or we can just think, well, you know, I'll do this because I know better than God does about this, you know. I've studied spiritual gifts and I haven't yet found one that qualifies anybody to advise God. Okay, I've outlined a few of the challenges. Where does this faith come to face this pressure? Well, let's just think about that verse again. God controls the intensity of whatever test we're going through. And as we grow on in the faith, we'll be tested more. Comes with the territory. But we can find God's escape hatch. A fresh focus. Firstly, on Jesus as our Lord. And secondly, on others' hopes or their hurts. So that it takes our concentration away from how desperately lonely or sad we feel and how much better this life would be if we just succumbed to this temptation. as we shift onto others' hurts or hopes, it takes that pressure off us and allows the grace of God to flow through to somebody else and we get a much better buzz from helping somebody with their hurt or their hope because there's something that's taking us on further than the, the cheap temporary thrill of succumbing to a temptation. I know both sides of the temptation issue. I'm not saying I've uh, solved this one because even this afternoon I could fall in a heap over something that I don't see coming. But as we focus on God's presence with us, even as we're feeling so degraded or foul or unworthy for being tempted, which is a, a lie anyway as we focus on God, it lifts our sights. We start to see fresh fields. And as we stay in the fellowship of his light and his cleansing, 1 John 1, 1.5 says if we walk in the light, that is the light of God's presence, and if we, not just individually but us together, with all God's people, walk in his light, we have fellowship with one another, we can trust each other, we see our faults but we see God's grace working through in spite of the faults and cleansing them. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's the only reason, the only hope we have that this poisonous thinking that hits us, it's wiped out of its power by the blood of Jesus from the cross. And as we stay in that fellowship we get out of this isolation. We break free and start to realise something fantastic is happening. Now we can draw on God's availability. Just have a look at these two verses, just my time to read them out loud together. Jesus, our high priest, can empathise with our weaknesses for he's been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sinning. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this is the answer to those times when we don't feel qualified to pray because we feel sullied and mucked around by the testing we're facing. No, Lord, I'm being tested here. I'm I'm in a mess. I just don't know which way to go, but you're here. Show me your way through. Show me how I can step away from this to give somebody else a lift or a break, some encouragement. And he will anoint that. And we'll forget the temptation because as the scripture says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly from temptation. Probably sounds the wrong sort of description for somebody who's untemptation, but it's the godliness of his grace within us not the godliness of our qualification to say, oh, I don't need that, but I'm good enough. We have choices. Oh, I forgot to press this one. I wonder why I read it with such silence from you. My right hand didn't know what my left hand was doing. I'm sorry about that. But we have choices. From Deuteronomy 35, 15-19 to 19, I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction now choose life the clear cut choice for the Israelites now if they chose life and prosperity it didn't mean that all their problems were solved and so we need to be careful as we look at a verse like that to think oh, all I have to do is choose life and everything will be fine, no we will face whatever challenges but we'll face them with his grace and his increasing confidence and anointing and greater effectiveness for others who are struggling and in Romans chapter 6 as Paul gives that incredible clarity, the teaching about baptism we can count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus we consider our old nature dead because Jesus has taken away the sin that feeds it but as I said earlier Satan has access to all our memories and he always try to decorate some ugly things with all sorts of sugar coating and attractiveness so that we think oh maybe it wasn't so bad after all it was But as we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Jesus, we give God's answer to the lie of temptation. And as Paul wrote a little bit later on to his friends at Rome, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This is your true and proper worship. The sacrificial system was a pretty destructive one on the animals being sacrificed. And uh, we got a meeting in a couple of weeks' time on the 6th of October and there'll be a treasurer's report which the temple system would never have considered. What happened to offerings in the temple? Gone. We've got a bit more accountability today with our money and where the gifts are going. But a living sacrifice... The problem is that it keeps wanting to get off the altar the dead one just sits there and it's consumed but as we continue continue to offer ourselves to him he peels away and helps us to peel away and increases our joy of the freedom of dumping the stuff that doesn't look like a horse or doesn't look like his nature transforming us and while we might struggle with letting that stuff go he will give us the courage to keep letting it go because this is our worship this is our response, our open heartedness to God's grace and one day we will be just as he is, something to look forward to even while we're being tested. Let's let's pause to pray Thank you, Lord, that you see into our hearts, you see the struggles, you see the hopes and the hurts, you see our potential in ways we can't yet. But we thank you that in all of that vision, seeing us exactly as we are, your vision is saturated with love. Love that will never let us go. And Lord, we just offer ourselves to you in response. We can't promise to never let you go because we're fallible and you know that. But Lord, we just want to offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices, alert to any prompting that we're starting to drift or let go or let slack or just forget about other people's needs and the opportunities we might have to meet those needs. We thank you for your forgiveness and we thank you for your acceptance. And we pray that you would continue to open our eyes to new opportunities within the church and beyond it. For Jesus' sake, amen.